and uh, it's a nice Sunday. Sunday after the the women's march on DC. It's crazy to see. Uh, we are lucky to be joined by a longtime friend. Uh, hold on, I gotta see if that's cutting out or not. So blah 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> it's about that time. It's about that time to get paid. Pulling in the shade. This is the Unsolicited Advice Podcast Sunday Edition. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Evan Terrell, and I'm sitting next to the other guy, Evan August. Uh, and we're here on this fabulous Sunday, joined by Billy Glidden. Billy, Billy, say, Billy, say something. Hello, I'm here. Sound a little more good, happy. That you're good here. to be. I'm really grateful to be here with you guys. You've been we've, we've been bugging each other about making this happen. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the talk we're about to have. Uh, so so why Billy, not William? First question. Uh, that's just what my William. mom my mom preferred to call me growing up. Wow. I just realized his name is William. My name is William <laughs> Glidden. There's that whole thing yeah. that every William is smart and like a genius. Is that a thing? It's to- no, it's totally true too. Is, think think about really? every Bill and William you know. Will Smith is, is he successful or smart. He's just, yeah, he, I don't know. If, wow. Like, Bill Gates. Wow. Yeah. Name another one. Someone. I don't know if he expands to like a Billy Bob. It might change the demographics of the people we're talking about. They're smart people. I wouldn't be like discriminatory towards the uh, people in Appalachia. This is very. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is very flattering. <laughs> no, it is. It should be. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, we know we brought Billy on today because we thought it was very appropriate given just uh, the inauguration has passed and the march on DC. Is are all the women's marches called March on DC even though they don't take place in DC? I don't confuse. So. No, just say Women's March. Yeah. All right. Yeah, exactly. Do you see pictures of I? They, they, you know, they, uh, I was watching MSNBC. I felt like that coverage uh, would be the best for my sensibilities. Uh, it's always funny, you know, given what's happened recently. Listen to Rachel Maddow, just like so sad. Y- yeah. It's pretty sad, <laughs> but anyway, it was great because you saw you saw the protesters in different places, and then you saw like it's like women's march in Miami, and they're just having a great old time. Yeah, <laughs> people just wearing swimsuits and stuff. I think my entire coverage was actually my Snapchat feed and Instagram feed, which I think covered the diversity of like every. Yeah, some people marching in California, some people in Florida. I think in every there was a women's march in almost every state. You you even made the joke that you said everyone was literally at that march, and then you'd be like, it'd be interspersed with that one person who wasn't at the march. No, it would be bad. So it would be like every single girl on my Snapchat feed would be out there marching for justice, and then you'd get I don't want to say all the guys, but it was like split. I would say like I would say seventy five percent of the guys like weren't there. Just like look at my biceps yeah. <laughs> in the mirror. <laughs> So you get like women walking for justice and, you know, capturing, you know, a, a zeitgeist and things like that. And then you get some dude out, you know, enjoying, I don't know, whatever movies out, you know, it's, <laughs> it's like, oh, there's, there's difference. There's there's levels to it. So uh, just to get started, we'll talk to our guest. You know, we have a guest here, man. We should, we should, yeah, we we should include him. We, we, we had well, a lot whatever of you problems. want. It's yeah. Mr. Billy. <laughs> uh, let's hit you with Billy. What, what, so you what, what are you doing right now? Uh, right now, uh, I, I'm working in New York City for a nonprofit called Community Access. We develop housing for people uh, who have been chronically homeless and have mental health histories, and I'm a fundraiser for them. Billy is also an angel. This is uh, <laughs> also what he is. If uh, <laughs> you didn't catch that, that sounds like fantastic yeah. stuff to be doing. Uh, yeah, it's all right. It's all right, and I'm I'm <laughs> I'm. Uh, 
doing this now after having worked for the mayor of Holyoke, Massachusetts for about four years. Can we give a shout out to the mayor? Alex Morris, mayor of Holyoke, Mass. How many, how many terms has he been mayor? He's been uh, elected to three two-year terms, and he is running for re-election this year. Good man. Shout Are out Holyoke. What's, what's the area code there? Uh, is it zip code, area code? 413. Four one three. Four one three. Yeah, yeah. Are, are you going to be helping him this this cycle, or are you going to have to do it without you? Uh, well, I'll be. You know, I talk to him frequently. Must be I, nice. I, I'm Must in, be I'm nice invested. to have the, the mayor on speed dial. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty nice. It must be nice to have me on speed dial. Too, yeah, right. <laughs> that's what I tell myself anyway. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So in addition to being an angel and having the mayor on speed dial. <laughs> <laughs> Billy is also a massive fan of James Baldwin. Right. Right? Yeah. Read about like what what percentage would you say of his his work? I've read I've read <clears throat> most everything uh he's written that is nonfiction, most of his nonfiction work. I haven't tackled most of his fiction yet. Oh, you're pulling up my article over there? I oh, was just, man, you, you sniped it out from that far away. <laughs> yeah. You egotistical yeah. SOB. That's, yeah, very narcissistic uh, well, no, of me. The, the best part, the funny thing is that uh, <laughs> Billy always gives me reading material that usually includes Baldwin. Like, no, I'll literally be like, Billy, please. <laughs> I need some stuff. to be smart this week. I never really get to it, but uh, <laughs> I get the, you always give me two articles at a time. <laughs> I think last time you gave me the Ta-Nehisi Coates, uh, is my president's black? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was like a that took like two weeks. Very, well, yeah. <laughs> Did you finish it yet? No, <laughs> but I feel like I read. I feel like I read thirty pages. It was like fifty four. <laughs> it was like and and they, I think printed out pages. That was. A bunch of pages. There's a lot of pages, yeah. Uh, I think yeah. I got the point. You I finished think. it though, right? I did. Evan, Elder Evan. I actually like that they um because I was actually struggling. I think I was on page forty or so, and they put out the the audio recording. Oh, okay. And I much prefer like that, so I could just sit on the train and like passively like take yeah. it in. But that's how I got through the rest of it. Like yeah. the last, uh, I think I think it was like fifteen minutes or so. Yeah, uh, beautiful, and uh, I thought very heartbreaking <laughs> read. Oh yeah, for sure. It. Uh, I think my favorite part was. And I was talking with Evan about this, I think, like, last week. Like, I went through this period where, you know, Obama was going out, so everybody had this kind of, like, nostalgia. So everybody everybody was capitalizing on the business opportunity, so I was able to capture that Barry film on Netflix, watch uh, watch uh, Southside with you, and then read this piece. And I was like, man, this guy is just the greatest person ever. Yeah. And my favorite part to add to that was the um the section where he talks about how Obama invited a bunch of like I think media critics and journalists into I think the Oval Office mm-hmm. and just said, you know, no care like let's just go. Like ask me, shoot me a question and he's like and Obama like beat these people <laughs> with yeah. the like skill of like, a prize fighter. Like compare him to Joe Lewis. Exactly like, like the, Joe the, Lewis. The Joe yes. Lewis of intellect. Exactly. And it <clears throat> which is astounding because to have that, you know, you know, uh, reflection like on on Ta-Nehisi Coates, who mm-hmm. himself is like a you know, very great historian. You know, yeah, yeah, know so much. You know, just about at least the black experience in America. Yeah, and for him to leave that meeting, you know, with that impression is it just speaks a lot. I feel like. Yeah, yeah, and I I think I what I, what I loved about that piece was that it it felt like an elegy. It was um, saying goodbye to a very particular moment that I don't mm. know that any of us uh, are confident we'll see again yeah. uh, to see somebody that exceptional um, and of that agile intellect on the national stage again. Yeah. Um, 
especially in light of what he has given way to, which mm-hmm. is uh, say what you will about our current president. He's not exactly a scholar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he seems to know next to nothing about yeah. anything he talks <laughs> about. Um, and, and yet that message was persuasive to enough people. Yeah. <laughs> well, you also have to wonder about like, I don't know, the, the, I think Trump is definitely maybe a little bit more accessible to certain demographics that felt, that's, that's what people say, like to a lot of people that felt, you know, somehow left out, whether or not they actually were, the people that felt like they were left out, Trump's, you know, speech and how he talked was more accessible to them. And they were able to, you know, gloss over mm-hmm. all the other. What you know, Do you find that persuasive? Do you think I, that's I don't. What, I what don't, do but that's what's given. Well, given who he's <clears throat> met with recently, the accessibility in like the physical sense <laughs> hasn't come to fruition yet. I mean, maybe that's like he's given them the wink and like he'll he like he knows his administration will be about those people, quote unquote, left behind people. Right. But I don't know. The people is like person like individually met with him haven't been in that demographic at all. Right. Right. Well, what 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 I think people found accessible about Trump, uh, a campaign and John Favreau is a, a former speechwriter for Obama who has a podcast now and he's a he writes about What's politics. It called? like 1600. Yeah, it's, and now it's something else. I'll have to look it up. He changed the name of it post election. Oh, uh, but he he argues that a campaign is essentially a contest of narratives. Your your mm. campaigns are telling stories about the country. Um, and your vote is a reflection of which story you want to be part of. Um, part of my work in Holyoke was helping with the campaign messaging and writing, and so I'm familiar with that process. And what I think uh, people found accessible, if that's you know the word we're using, about Trump was the narrative that he told about America was mm-hmm. of an America under siege by... Uh, sinister forces at the gate coming to take what was this once great land. Uh, uh, Not even a coded message to white voters. It was an explicit appeal to the fears and insecurities of the people he wound up winning. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's how we have him. So if you have a guy who's saying, look, uh, I know you guys are afraid. You're right to be afraid. Uh, Hillary and Barack are not looking out for you. They're looking out for the refugees and the black people and the Latinos and the people who are ruining the country. I'm going to end all of that and give you all a bigger piece of the pie. And that's what you got. You had people in these uh, Rust Belt states who were like, oh, yeah, finally. To to me, I think the most compelling argument for his election is that he corroborated a version of reality that felt real yeah. to these people, even if that reality was false, yeah. which it is. Exactly. It's false. <laughs> there, there was a, there was a piece that came out. I didn't, I didn't exactly, I didn't, I didn't get to finish it, but it talked about how there was a difference in the, the voting populace populace between who is actually affected, you know, by economic hardships and things like that. And people who just felt certain anxieties, whether racial anxieties, economic anxieties, and, <clears throat> that kind of expand across because there was also that thing people said like it's not always about um you know just the working class Cause if you look at the working class that you know goes over different racial lines you know like but when right. you look at the working class that's voting for trump it's almost exclusively you know white americans 
So he was, I think right. the article was talking about how these people don't necessarily have it harder, but they're feeling Trump is speaking to their anxieties specifically of that population more so than other people. Uh, speaking to them and inflaming them. Exactly. By, yeah. by lying to them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, the people that and, and there there are different surveys out there looking at the extent to which, you know, Trump support was actually working class or I mean, it cut across class lines when it came to race specifically. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, this idea that somehow this was a, a populist uprising of the of the so-called white working class, I don't think has actually been borne out uh, by the evidence yeah (laughs) um but i think he i lost that that sentence that i was just (laughs) i lost it i will say though yeah go ahead i think that everything and it's it's terrifying so far but i think a lot of people's kind of fears are were kind of are kind of being you know validated in the first you know, day or so. Yeah. Like, so the thought, the thought that that lo- I lost there for a second is that it. a lot of the a lot of these people that yeah. While you were talking, I was thinking about myself and what I was gonna say. <laughs> uh, I mean, I That's mean, <laughs> a lot of these people that voted for him because he th- he they believe his version of reality. These are people who are now wondering why their health care is on the chopping block. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because they they've bought into this false idea of their own, you know, th- this guy will take care of me. Um, Obama's been looking out for these other people that don't look like me. Uh, when when the truth is that it's another example of how racism actually kills us all mm. in the end. Yeah. I mean, there are gonna be people that don't have health care that that willingly gave it away by voting for the person who had promised to take it away. I mean, if that's what winds up happening. Yeah, exactly, and uh, even even more even more than this this is, this is a little bit of a separate issue, but it was also in the media lately about there there was that whole controversy about Mark Lamont Hill, um, referring to Steve Harvey <laughs> and Kanye West it's and mediocre mediocre Negroes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it was <clears throat> kind of set like uh, the me- media on fire because they're like, how could you say that? How could you talk about that? But the the truth he was getting at was that. What what you're showing this whole segment of the population no type of respect to be talking to Steve Harvey about what it was I think it was housing issues and to be talking to Kanye West about you know multiculturalism multiculturalism <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. it's like <clears throat> and, and D L Hughley made the point he's like listen you can go meet with Trump all you want like you could do that if you want but this can't be a part time thing like Kanye West can't go meet with the president about multicultural issues and then go off, shoot his episode of keeping up with the Kardashians and then record, mm-hmm. uh, whatever album he's coming up. It can't be a part-time thing. This has to be a, this has to be a mission. And we look at Steve Harvey. I don't know what Steve Harvey's done for housing to be the go-to consultant. You know, <laughs> why are you bringing him in? Like, it's just, it's ridiculous. You heard uh Steve Harvey's like uh, response. <clears throat> he had said he was like really hurt by all those things. Oh, well. <laughs> I kind of fell for him a little bit. Yeah, I, I didn't. I mean, what, what did he say? Well, it wasn't anything specific. <laughs> he just said he was hurt by the language of being called, uh, you know, basically Uncle Tom. Yeah. Uh, 
as Lamont Hill talked about saying the mediocre Negro thing, he doesn't take it back at all. No, he was on Instagram. He's like, apparently, I'm not supposed to say that. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> apparently, it's not okay to say on TV. But I feel I feel like saying you know what comes like the repercussions of possibly saying that. I mean, apparently I, not. He's cool. <laughs> I, no, I, I think I think he probably did a calculation in head where he's like, eh, whatever. Yeah, he just went in. He just like he did it on right purpose. But um, I don't know. Nah, yeah, I, I think I think Steve Harvey's whole. I don't want to focus on Steve Harvey, but uh, <laughs> he, he had said that he had said the terrible things about Asian people literally. Like half a week before or something. Yeah, it's like, not a good week. Yeah, to be he kind of. If anything, it's poetic justice. Like, <laughs> it's unfortunate. Oh, I mean, he's upsetting everybody. I feel like had he not done that, I'd be more inclined to defend him. Like he does have a he does have a syndicated talk show where he it, the whole kind of point is that he talks to like a mul- he's kind of doing the Van Jones thing without doing the Van Jones thing. Without being Van Jones is the thing. Like, yeah, essentially. But I don't know. Huh. I think the difference is like Van Jones. <laughs> like Van Jones puts it in work. Like True. no, like no, everybody can see you. Can, Go on Wikipedia, see Van Jones' resume. I could go on Wikipedia, see Steve Harvey's been on Jeopardy for 15 years. You know, what is that doing for housing? Why are you talking about housing? I don't understand. Like, <laughs> um, So, moving on. All right. Women's. Well, we can move on. Women's. <laughs> women, yeah, who, better, who better to speak on this topic than, than uh, three. Oh, three guys? <laughs> yeah. Thanks All right, for bringing me. If you want to play that, let's just uh, <laughs> no, let's no, not no. have the podcast. Let's get the podcast. <laughs> Throwing out the window, guys. No, I just want to check my privilege before I comment. Well, well, oh, right, for so, real. No, this, this, is, this, is, this is something. Uh, uh, I yeah. I was discussing this with. Uh, we were talking about. Mo- I was talking with movies about someone, and I was about to say like, yeah, it's a good movie. You know, it has a strong, independent female character, and I kind of like caught myself because I realized like recently we've done this thing where like we kind of admit this like self-flagellation or as what we call I guess like check privilege. Yeah, right. And it's like sometimes I'm kind of like. While I understand it's there and like it, you you, it, you should say it, but I'm like to the person I'm saying it to, does that make him feel better that I said it? And now I'm like, no, oh, no, I get to feel good about myself by yeah, per- exactly. by performing by, like, yeah. how self aware I <laughs> exactly. am. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So I kind yeah, of, I don't really stress that too much. No, I mean, yeah, you're yeah. doing it as a joke, but I I do I, I yeah. find myself doing it a lot. Yeah. I'm like, eh, maybe just <laughs> say what I want to say and see how it's received. Yeah, I think I think having healthy. Uh, healthy amount of humility about any topic is good and to the the extent to which my own subjective experience limits what i can understand i Uh think it's because you run into a lot of people you talk in politics with who are like well i i grew up back in the day and i don't need to be told about this or that because you know things that aren't actually connected yeah so having humility is good well i guess and this is what not you i'm just using this jumping point i've had uh <laughs> i've had no, no i've had I've, and this was after the like november was it november 8th the election november 9th the day eighth eighth is the election yeah, so then, not yeah. so no it was november 9th i was talking about it with my white friends and they would always say something <laughs> totally out of line but the, but no they, they prefer- i didn't though i was no, good no obviously <laughs> not you bill you're an angel we covered that no but but they but they preface whatever they nonsense they say with and i understand i'm a white male like that doesn't allow you just to right. carte blanche to say whatever you want <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. Right. Again, we're all men, and uh, but I was going to talk to you about you've been involved in like the political process, writing speeches, and mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. doing all the community organizing, blah blah. You've done. Mm-hmm. I just covered it with a blah blah blah. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I thought I did you a service there. But um, okay, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. Like, what do you see from the march? Are you because we there's some people I've seen on social media have been kind of cynical about the whole thing. All right. Yeah. 
What do I what do I think about that? Yeah, what do you think the next step, if you will? And <laughs> well, look, I think I think something really interesting that happened, and, and I saw that you you had my the piece I recently wrote pulled up, and one of the things that second uh, time you mentioned that <laughs> I wrote a piece. Uh, <laughs> so so one of the things that the election of Trump did for me was it uh, deepened my own um, awareness of my interior life. And the, the issues I have and how I relate and think and act. Um, am I doing enough? Um, am I just going along to get along with, you know, if I hear or see things that are wrong, am I out there active enough to prevent something like that from going down again, right? And I think that that experience wasn't unique. Um, a lot of friends of mine, I've talked to men, women, whatever, uh, People that hadn't been involved in politics before were saying, all right, well, this is obviously a catastrophe. Like, we have to do something about it. Um, and I think the Women's March, just from conversations I've had with people that were there, and I, I went to the New York one and stood in a big crowd and chanted for a, a few minutes. I and sat in my living room. Yeah. <laughs> I just had to get off my chest. I, I started sweating. <laughs> Go ahead. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think I think there's something affirming uh, about just being out there and, and, and being around people that that affirm that you exist and that your experience matters and that, yeah, this awful thing has happened, but we're, we're out here and we're not going anywhere. Cause I know for me, uh, I didn't think Trump could win one, two, what that meant was I thought that there was this emerging liberal consensus on most issues that I cared about. Right. So Obama has been incremental and pragmatic in what he's gotten done, but you know, on issues of the criminal justice system or even something as, uh, something that should be beyond argument, which is sexual assault on college campuses. You have Obama and Biden um, very outspoken and helping to implement change on that. We now have a president. I was going to say president-elect. No, no, we have a president now who mm. has a, a track record of boasting about the very behavior that the former president was um, trying to fix, right? So... Any illusion I had that that the changing demographics of the country and the evolving consensus was going to be self-executing, I, I no longer have that. Uh, and I think the Women's March reflects that. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the, the women that I, I know that went down to D.C., I've asked them how, the, how they felt about it. One um, One friend of mine... Uh, texted me to say she had never felt happier to be American. Wow. Um, so that's something, right? And and we, if we can start to feel that, and, and that's that was Obama's parting message to us as well. It's like the most important office you hold is that of citizen. Let's get after it, you know? Yeah. And that's really crazy that it culminated in, like, I think the, it was the biggest <laughs> protest in American history, I think, right? That's the biggest crazy. march? 
I saw, I, I don't know the numbers. Uh, Sean King um, posted on Facebook that it was like 2.9 million people oh, total. You mm-hmm. know how people feel about Sean King now. <laughs> Who? I don't know. Which people? Should I not mention Sean King? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but, but Which people are we well, talking no, about? The, fu- the funny thing about Sean King is though, everything he writes is like correct. And I whole, whole, wholeheartedly agree with it. It's just, it's unfortunate that I feel like he's become oversaturated now. That like when you cite Sean King, people are like, oh, that's all you read, Sean King. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so some, some, some. It's, it's some, unfair. Uh, some writer on Facebook said that it was 2.9 million. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to make you feel better. Get it? More confident <laughs> <in the pack>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's well, anyway, a lot of people, certainly more people than were. Uh, is this okay? He's breaking stuff. The mic just fell it's off. going the, crazy. Uh, certainly more people than attended Trump's inauguration. <laughs> there will be no dropping the mic and Billy out on this podcast. Please don't. <laughs> oh, man. And this is. I mean, it's even larger when you consider that there was a, you know, march in every single like you had major posted city. something on your Twitter feed. Uh, what's your Twitter, by the way? At Billy Glidden. There it is. Billy <laughs> Glidden. Yes. Same yeah, Billy you followed Glidden. me like a half hour before I got here. And you followed me back uh, a half hour after I followed you. So <laughs> we got this uh, reciprocation going on. Um, yeah. Yep. That's gonna be on like history books, though. Oh, definitely, easily. Like, yeah. what, what? What's the what's the anti-war march that everyone talks about? Like, it's always in history books in the sixties. Yeah, I like, come here to be quizzed, man. Something. But I'm just saying, it's kind of <laughs> cool that people who had gone are now literally going to be able to say they want. Like, I won't be able to say that. <laughs> of course, my stupid kid won't know that if I was there or not. But, but you brought me on the podcast to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so. <laughs> <laughs> this is how you make your how we make so ourselves feel better. So you're good. <laughs> we bring Saint Billy Glidden. I'm really not a saint. It's too late. <laughs> Canonized you on the unsolicited advice podcast. That's all you needed. That's that's powerful. I go to a Jesuit school, so I feel I feel like that's somewhere in the in the tuition. You're basically Pope Francis. Exactly. Yeah, you have the ability exactly. to canonize me. A little, little, little bit removed. <laughs> so what next? I don't know, man. I'm trying. Evan, come on. Huh? Give me something. Oh, this is usually is funny. This is usually when the music will play and then like we seamlessly glide into another thing. It was right. cool because we could probably edit this section and put in a little music in and it'll sound beautiful. Evan August has just left. Uh, we wish him safe travels to wherever he's Did going. he actually leave? No, I don't think he left. I think he's still hovering. I think it'll be 10 more minutes before he leaves. Uh, I can unmute his mic if he wants to make a special appearance. Yeah, let's just let's just talk, Evan. It's been a while since I've seen you. Um, yeah, no, before we get back to high school funny stories about not playing in my varsity team. Uh, you played. That was great. <laughs> Once in a while. Nah, you were good. You were good. Um, <laughs> the thing that... Uh, Evan always plays these YouTubes when we come home about like whoever's being interviewed, whoever's doing media tours. And Michael Eric Dyson's book just came out. Um, Tears We Cannot Stop. Did you already read it? I haven't, no. You son of a <laughs> bitch. <laughs> I have not read it yet. No. Um, no, one of the things he said, and this is on the Breakfast Club interview with Charlemagne, who's you know taking some flack for whatever reason, meeting with Tommy Loren and stuff like that. And Oh, uh, uh, yeah, I followed that a little bit. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sure, sure. But um, yeah. Michael Eric Dyson had basically said that he ultimately came down to the point that in order for people, like one of the easiest way for people to care about things is like for them to have an immediate effect or like for it to immediately affect them and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, someone uh, loses their son abroad. They instantly become an activist for 
you know, not activists, but they are they're pro war or stuff like that, or they feel a certain way, or, or not not pro war. They're activists and anti war, mm-hmm. uh, whichever way that goes. But you basically need something to be the impetus for your, I don't know, how you feel about certain things. And I thought that was interesting, and I wanted to ask you, what would you say? Because a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of things that Trump plans to do, whether it's to fund Planned Parenthood or strip away civil rights for minorities, uh, the LGBT community and stuff. <clears throat> How do you get someone who feels like they aren't affected by any of that to like put, put out in the larger context that they are affected by these things? Or how do you get them to ultimately care about these things? Because I'd say for myself as... Yeah, what, do you, what do you think about that? Well, I, no, I, guess, I guess in a weird and indirect way, I'm kind of asking for myself because... As word and like it was only until November eighth and the night of the election, I think, when the percentage points had started to begun to change and you started to realize that Hillary wasn't really gonna win this thing that I it was the first time the whole election I had gotten like frightened. Um and it was like it was really it was a real it was a real feeling. I hadn't thought about that until that time and everyone had been telling me, including you, people have been telling me, No, man, this is dire circumstances, <laughs> like this is bad, this could get really bad. But it it didn't materialize until then. And then that fear has kind of subsided a little bit. And then, you know, it, it came up, it bubbled up when he started making appointments with mm. Bannon and Sessions and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and now I'm at this point where I'm waiting for the next shoe to drop. And I'm curious, like, for some, that uh-huh. shoe has already dropped. Uh-huh. Like, what do you think the biggest issue? Well... Sorry, I don't want to cut you. Cut no, off no, no. Let's, yeah. So I'm just asking, what do you think is the biggest issue that Trump will affect? Man, I think media? I think one thing uh, to, to the. I don't know what the one big issue is. I think the bigger point you're talking about is interesting, though. This idea of what affects me personally. Um, you know, what this Trump campaign should make very clear to us and and you're seeing evidence that people are getting it now um with there were a lot of signs at the women's march that said um the future is intersectional or intersectionality is the way Mm -hmm. um looking at the ways in which our all of our struggles to be free and whole in this society are bound up with each other's um i think for a time we could act like uh, maybe that wasn't so obvious, but look at Trump's campaign, how seamlessly his dehumanization of Mexican immigrants, um, became dehumanization of whole black communities to, uh, you know, debasing Muslim Americans, uh, refugees, um, women, LGBTQ, across the board. It's like nobody was safe from this guy's venom. And a lot of people signed on and voted for him, right? Yeah. Uh, so there shouldn't be any illusion anymore. I don't think that I, somehow I can be free, I can be okay, I can be safe, but that family over there they don't need to be, or I don't got to worry about that because this knows no, it knows no bounds. Um, the kind of dehumanizing forces that 
Trump not only played to, but inflamed and has emboldened. So if we're people that think we are invested in a multicultural project, then I have to care just as much. Um, not because I'm a good guy or I'm compassionate, but because that person being hurt is me in some deep fundamental way. Whether the person looks like me, uh, has my same lived experience, that person is me. Um, and I can't, I can't be free. I can't be safe unless that person is too. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that will become clear by other Evan. He's leaving. Um, I don't know if that's now clear to everybody. I've certainly had conversations in the wake of the election with members of my own family who may or may not have voted for Trump. They, they won't say outright, Mm -hmm. but it's not clear why, uh, folks would be terrified. Um, there's this innocence that folks hold on to. Like, what's the big deal? I just, I voted, you know, Donald Trump is a Republican. He, he, Do you uh, think the reluctance to admit that people voted for Trump is like almost a tacit like admission to, yeah, you know, I did do this, but <laughs> I, I thought this was, this was uh, better for me. Yeah, that there could be something to that. I mean, the people that are like very brazen about their support of Trump are the people you should probably be a little bit uh, nervous about standing around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, because, I mean, the guy trafficked in the most vicious kind of debasement of other human beings. Like that was the narrative. It was saying that these other people are coming for you and yours and I'm going to keep you safe from it. So any, any, and and now we have not only the campaign to go on, but the inaugural address, which I read. Um, do you, you, did you make it a point not to watch any of it? I didn't watch any of it as it was happening. We, um, so at my job at two TV, we watched it and we had one of the writers just play the Imperial March the whole time. Yeah. So that was funny. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. We were saying during during his uh, inauguration speech, uh, I, is, it, is it one of the shortest? V- yeah. I think it was like 16 minutes. Yeah, I guess. I was I was watching Obama's in 09 and 13. Yeah. And, uh, way better. But anyway. They were, they were way better. He, yeah. he did everything but literally turn around and point to Obama and say, this guy fucked everything up or this guy. This guy and everybody that's ever served before me. Yeah. And, and, and the country, the country, it's a crime scene, um, uh, carnage everywhere. And I'm going to keep you safe. It was a, a demo, a speech of a demagogue. Yeah. Um, and this is very dangerous. Uh, we have to be aware of the history, right? You saw black lives matter form, not in response to a Republican president, but under Barack Obama, right? Yeah, I recently heard about that. Or someone had put that thought in my Right, head. right. So I think I think Jelani Cobb, who writes for The New Yorker, said that we, we couldn't conceive of the limitations of a black presidency until we actually had one, right? And there's a whole history that we inherit when we're born here and we, we get involved in public service here um, that bubbles up and that we have to deal with and if we fail to recognize that the 
rioting that you see or the protest that you see or the, the anger and sense of despair that you see is not something that people are inventing in their minds, but is actually um, rooted in actual history and experience. We're, we're in trouble. I mean, even... Take take these shootings that happened under Obama, like police shootings or or, mm-hmm. or, uh, or George Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin. Now, those situations did, I think, make plain the limitations of Bar- Barack Obama's power as a black president to change everything. But the Department of Justice still went into Ferguson, went into Chicago, went into Baltimore to look into these police departments and to implement changes and to speak clearly about what's going on. Um, Does anybody actually think that's going to happen again? And do, do we honestly think that under Trump, there will be no more of these incidents? These incidents will happen, but you won't have the DOJ at all invested in addressing it you look at the white house's website now they say that oh the the role of law enforcement is not to uh make comfortable the rioter or the protester yeah so so yeah i mean if you think that if you buy into this notion of uh like uh, trump will just be really strong and make everything okay well you can retreat into that worldview but you might be surprised when people continue to riot <laughs> and when shit gets really bad. Because mm-hmm. if we don't deal with it, it's going to continue to happen. And it'll only get worse. Yeah, no. Um, now, nah, you definitely touched upon something that I hadn't thought about in a little bit. But like, I think the biggest issue with the Trump presidency with me, and I had a lot of friends ask me uh Friends who I respect and love uh, dearly who had said to me, like, so what's like, what's the big deal about the Trump? Like, it's just language, it's just rhetoric and stuff. And I had said that from my vantage point that it just sucks when this because we all admit these shootings uh, as, as much as I hope that they all get better and things like that. And I see you cycling through your uh, I'm, James I'm, I'm listening to you. Yeah. yeah. But, um, you know, these, these these crimes and shootings and everything will continue to happen. But the issue is that now I feel like the president doesn't outright, you know, repudiate those actions the same way that he had in the first. Doesn't it doesn't even acknowledge that there could th- be an these issue. things are happening. Yeah, the, yeah it's not an issue. And like in Aziz, uh, we're recording this on Sunday, so Saturday Night Live was yesterday, and Aziz and sorry, the comedian, uh, did a monologue where he just said that like now all the closet racists are now like open about their racism. And it's just like it's weird. I'm not saying I'm not saying even closet racism is a solution. But it does make you think now, like, dang, that was, I do like that a lot more than this outright, like, I don't have to, like, the unapologetic racism, if you will. Right, right. Yeah, people feel much more comfortable now to just say what they <laughs> what they think. Um, please drop this quote. You're, you're, you're looking through this book. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, this essay called No Name in the Street by James Baldwin and, uh, it the last uh, the last paragraph of it gives me chills, um, and now when I think about what's happening, um, it goes like this: um, t- 
to be an Afro-American or American black is to be in the situation intolerably exaggerated of all those who have ever found themselves part of a civilization which they could in no wise honorably defend, which they were compelled indeed endlessly to attack and condemn, and yet who spoke out of the most passionate love, hoping to make the kingdom new, to make it honorable and worthy of life. Whoever is part of whatever civilization helplessly loves some aspects of it and some of the people in it. A person does not lightly elect to oppose his society. One would much rather be at home among one's compatriots than be mocked and detested by them. And there is a level on which the mockery of the people, even their hatred, is moving because it is so blind. It is terrible to watch people cling to their captivity and insist on their own destruction. I think black people have always felt this about America and Americans and have always seen spinning above the thoughtless American head the shape of the wrath to come. Damn. So when I'm looking at these... <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's one of those ones I need you to send me. <laughs> when, I, when I'm looking at the people in their red hats... And they're at the they're on the mall and they're they're applauding Trump and they're they're fired up about it. And, and he says the words radical Islamic terrorism and they're they're all like thrilled about it. A lot of these people are about to lose their health care. Uh, a lot of these people are uh, are going to be watching this unrest sweeping around the country and not understand why it's even happening. Right. There's a level on which the mockery of the people even their hatred is moving because it is so blind it is terrible to watch people cling to their captivity and insist on their own destruction the idea that somehow we'll be okay we'll be safe if we just hand it over to strongman trump and let him crack down on all the bad people is a lie you know just like white supremacy is a lie yeah, Eric Dyson said that's the that's that's been fake news that's forever. The, the ultimate fake the news. Ultimate fake news. Uh, it's not going to make us safe, and and the project that we that we now have, which is the project Baldwin described and writers and thinkers long before him, um, is somehow getting other people to recognize their fates as wrapped up in as being tied to our own. Um, you know, that's the idea of the fire next time. Like we're going to get this right or we're going to go down together. I mean, we're one country. Um, so we were talking about the women's March. I'm, uh, I'm thrilled by that. I'm thrilled by seeing people out there saying, look, we're here intersectionality matters that we're all bound up together um but those are the stakes like it's not it, it's not like uh this is not a normal transition of power <laughs> i don't think i i think this is really uh, a moment where we're te we're testing the proposition that that this experiment in democracy can that we can actually live together.
Billy. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you here on this show. We do this thing, Evan and I, uh, where we ask our guests to, it's called unsolicited advice. We hardly ever give any, but the idea is that our guests will impart some advice to the listeners who maybe want to be more politically active, have aspirations, or have reacted <sighs> to the things that have happened recently. Like, what would your parting words be? Oh, man. Well, I don't know much. Uh... I think uh, what, what I what I want what what I would hope people start to do is to understand how tied up together we are here, and to care, and not only to care but to be willing to put yourself out there, and to and to proclaim it and live it, and and breathe it because. Uh, and I'll I'll do my best to do that because God knows uh, I spent way too much time during this last election not out persuading people but checking Nate Silver to see if Hillary was going to win, right? Um, so this matters, and it's not just politics as a as a game we play. It's it's about uh, our ability to live uh, live together freely. And uh, so I guess my advice to myself. Um, would be to to be willing to live that out um, and to not let despair take over my heart um, and to try to stay loving but to but to be out there doing it every day awesome okay uh, hopefully you'll have me back yeah dude all always always we have a lot to talk about and all right. let's catch up on um, where can the good people find you uh, you mean my social media accounts? Yeah, not your social security or your address. <laughs> yeah, social media. At, at Billy Glidden on Twitter. And I'm Billy Glidden on Facebook. Uh, just had a piece published on the, the Sweet Land. It's a political website that my friend Becca Fallon started. I wrote a piece about being in New York after the election. Check out the Sweet Land and, and uh, submit your own piece. We need more people uh, testifying to what they're seeing out there. And uh, you'll 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 see me at the store probably. Awesome. Okay. Uh, and this is another episode of Unsolicited Advice. Please check out our Facebook page, Instagrams, and all that stuff. And we out. Yeah.